Hey, Uncommon Leaders, welcome back. This is the Uncommon Leader Podcast, and I'm your host, John Gallagher. Today, my guest for Season 2, Episode 18, is Lynn Randall. Lynn is the Senior Director of Continuous Improvement for Mitsubishi Electric U.S., and she's headquartered out in Cypress, California. Lynn's story that she shares today is inspiring. Listen in, and you'll get to hear how she grew up the daughter of a Korean War U.S. Air Force pilot and a Vietnamese mother who both taught her that there wasn't anything she couldn't do. Lynn's career has been full of challenging opportunities and operations and senior level roles. And she talks about how when she sees an opportunity for improvement, a better way, she goes after it and attacks it. I know that you're going to enjoy this conversation. Let's get started. Hello, Lynn Randall. Welcome to the Uncommon Leader Podcast. It's so great to have you on the show. Say good morning or good afternoon or whatever it is as folks listen to this to our listeners and tell our listeners a little bit about you, how your upbringing has shaped and molded who you are today. Indeed, indeed. Well, good morning. Hello, good afternoon. And really, thank you for having me. What an honor and a privilege that you would want to talk to me. So I think I have a pretty interesting background that has really informed who I am. And it starts with my mom and dad. You know, my dad was a U.S. Air Force pilot, became a pilot because he was trying to dodge getting drafted by the Army into, you know, the Korean War and landed in Laos and Vietnam as a pilot. And that's a whole different story that has really intrigued me as an adult. But, you know, then he marries this Vietnamese woman in the middle of the war. And really, you know, she was probably... America's greatest patriot. And so between the two of them, there was this idea that there wasn't anything you couldn't do. Nothing was impossible, right? And so there's like two two really specific experiences that kind of stick out to me because I don't know, you know, experiences, stories, it's really the fabric of who I am. And each one is this thread in the in in that 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 weave. And the other day, my sister and I were talking about moving from uh, the transition, if you will, from a military family and, and moving up to Northern California after my dad had retired. And that those first years of school, public school, you know, off base and things like this. And I told her something that I did at this new school and it caused quite a ruckus and it had to do with the relay race. I'm eight years old, fourth grade. And the girls were staggered and put in front of the boys. And I was so upset. I was like, wait a minute. I, why am I up here? Why am I giving this preferential treatment or something? And my sister's response was, oh, my gosh, Lynn, no wonder you are the way you are. And I said, what does that mean? You know, so I thought that was funny. But fast forward to like my senior year of high school and growing up, my parents had always said, you need to go to college. My mom you go to college, you become a doctor, you know, but neither one really knew how to do it because they hadn't been to school. My father had wanted to go to UC Berkeley, but his dad said, no, he what he had an automotive shop. He was going to go work for him, then the war. And so he didn't get to go to college, but both of them knew you were supposed to. And I remember one Saturday morning calling a girlfriend to see what she was doing. I wanted to go shopping or something. And her mom said, she was taking the SAT. And I said, well, what's that? She said, the SAT. Well, you need to take it to go to college. 
I hop on my bicycle and I ride to school. I took the SAT. I sat for the SAT. The scores came back. It was not great, but it was good enough to get into a state university, you know, not the UC system, but state university. So I go see the counselor. I say, hey, and she said, whoa, whoa, Lynn, college isn't for you. You should think of something else. I was a bit of a a rebel, I guess, in her eyes. So this is 1982. There's no internet. There's no nothing. So again, I got to get on my bicycle because I was only 17. I'm a little younger than everybody else. So I didn't have a car. Ride the bicycle over to the library to do some research on schools and you got to figure it out. And I applied. So it's this idea that you can do anything if you put your mind to it. So I think that's translated into how I've really managed my uh you know, life, my businesses that I've worked at and the folks that I've worked with. Come on, let's do this together. We can figure it out. So kind of a long story, but. No, it, it's a fun story. And, you know, based on working with you, you go all the way back and you know, first of all, saying things like, why would I have you on the show? I think just in kicking off that story tells a lot of why you've got a unique story to tell. But as you watch, you know, the journey you've been on in your career, you can see that there are folks that can learn from you as well at different things that you've done all the way back to as an eight-year-old in a relay race saying, I don't need that advantage to get forward. I'll figure out my way to do it or riding over to college as a 17-year-old because you don't have a car and there's no internet. And we can, we'll just leave that alone in terms of how we feel about how long ago that was. But I appreciate you sharing that. And it really does line up perfectly for what the listeners of the Uncommon Leader podcast can help to understand that you say something that to the effect of you can do anything if you put your mind to it. You know, I sense that through the career as I've watched some of your roles that I see, you know, just on your LinkedIn profile, that you've had a, a diverse experience in leadership positions. I mean, you've done, uh, you've been the senior director of social responsibility and environmental sustainability of training and development. As I go through, you've been a director of contracts and national contracts manager. All these different types of things, Lynn, that are really uh, likely coming from opportunities that you got. All those different roles. What what is it that is in those roles that you really enjoy doing? That puts you in the flow of when you do your work. Interesting question, John, because they're all so different. But really, how I got those roles was I saw opportunities for improvement in something that was going on, something that was taking place. And I thought, there's got to be a better way. So the contracts position, as an example, I was originally interviewed to manage a very large construction project in San Diego that would change, you know, the, the skyline of San Diego. And I just thought, Boy, that doesn't sound very exciting to me. And it was dinner. It was a nighttime dinner. And at the end of the dinner, and this is a testament to the people that I work for, because they also saw opportunity. And I, I've always appreciated that about, about them. But as the at the conclusion, he is signing the check. And he looks up and he says, you know, I never asked you what it is that you like to do. And I said, what do I like? And I said, man, give me a red pen. There's nothing like, you know, reading a contract and marking that thing up and, 
you know, for my family-owned business, I wrote all of the policies and procedures and the MSDS and all these things because, you know, again, in a time before the internet, if you're bidding a project and they say that you need to have an OSHA safety injury and illness prevention program, what the heck does that mean? Well, I had to create it. And so that opportunity came where I was the next day, because I had declined the position as a uh, project manager. The next day I got a call and said, I've created a job called national contracts manager. What do you think? And I took it, obviously, I, I didn't take it right away. I said, I'm sorry, I've already accepted a position elsewhere and I hang up. I go tell my husband and he said, you mean they created a job? exactly for you doing exactly what you like to do. And you said, no, because you need to call them right back. So, but, you know, doing that job, it was an entry into, uh, you know, from family owned into a large company and they had grown organically over the years. And so processes weren't necessarily in place. And I saw that. And so I wrote my job description for training and development and presented it to them, which I didn't get till a number of years later, right? But, you know, all of that from contracts to the training and development and which landed with that corporate social responsibility, the common thread for me was people and helping people do a better job and feel like they understood what they were doing and why they were doing it. And the funny thing is, is that at work, people often see me as the processes person, you know, the cleanup, the cleanup crew, like that character, Mr. Wolf in, in that crazy movie. I forgot <laughs> what that was with John Travolta. It was oh, movie. gosh. I, I, I recall it. I'll figure it out. I'll think of it probably as your answer to another question. But yeah. But Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction, Pulp okay, Fiction, yep. right? He, mm-hmm. They bring him in and he would do the cleanup crew. And that was me. I'd come into a branch or a situation and I'd say, okay, wait, let's do A, B, C, and D. And I promise you, you'll be happier and, and things like this. So I'm actually a people person. And that's why all of those roles were perfect for me. But I, I'm seen as a processes person. But that's the connection, I suppose, between all of them, because they're very different. Well, and as you've you know even progressed into most recently and how you and I got introduced was through Lean Transformation. Lean Transformation really is about people and processes. That's exactly what it's about and that you have to go through that. And I'm curious, you know, even in that work, what do you see as the most, the most difficult? Is it people? Or is it processes? And how do you overcome that? It's, boy, another great question because, you know, when people think of Lean, they do think of the processes elimination of waste. And and it's so interesting because that's the outcome. The objective for me is making your life better. You know, let's let's do this better. There's got to be a better way. And I promise you, we can get there. The outcome certainly will be an elimination of waste in in so many ways, right? I mean, you and I both know that. So gosh, and I got to tell you a little sidebar here. It was so uh, what divine intervention to have met you, actually. So th- it was a great opportunity going from a lifetime of elevators, because even before I started working in the industry with my father, uh, you know, I tell people often that my first ride on an elevator car top was when I was six or seven. But that was because my mom and dad 
took my sister and I, or my dad took my mom, me and my younger sister out with him to job sites and job surveys on weekends, driving around Los Angeles, going to look at elevators and, okay, come on, totally dangerous. So anybody out there listening right now, please do not do this, (laughs) you know, but so, you know, it's just interesting. It was an easy transition because it is the people that I care about. So my biggest challenge is making people understand, hey, I'm not coming in here trying to make more work for you, trying to change your work, trying to make it better. I promise you, let's invest a little bit of time and you're going to be a happier, more productive person with a sense of purpose about what it is you're doing. What does it connect to? I'm good at drawing connections too, I think, with like the day-to-day activities of, of, a, of a particular position and how that connects to the overall strategy. Because I think sometimes folks say, all I do is answer the phone or all I do is like turn that wrench. What does that mean? Well, it actually mm. means a lot. Mm. So, t- so tying into how they are making an impact on the organization's objectives. And that's one of the pieces actually that uh, I remember working with you as well is that you were a vision caster, that you could you could paint a picture for individuals of those opportunities. And you had to do that a lot in the roles, whichever roles you're in, whether it was training and development and the social responsibility or even in the contract side. And again, in lean, as a leader only of influence, you didn't have anybody reporting to you, but you had to influence others. John Maxwell's book, The 360 Degree Leader, really talks about this a lot. There's three different ways that leaders uh, need to be successful. They need to be able to lead down and influence in the organization. If they have people that report to them or go forward, they need to be able to lead across the organization with their peer group. And they need to be able to lead up with regards to their leaders who they report to, to understand and influence them. Of those three types, Lynn, and the roles that you serve, which one has been the most difficult for you? And frankly, maybe rewarding as well. Leading up. Leading up, when you said that, I just that that just like clicked with me. I can always relate to my peers and and the folks that have done the the work that keeps the clock ticking. You know, I've had to roll up my sleeves and go out in the shop and receive a delivery and get on the forklift and things like that. It's the leading up. Is it a personal thing that I, you know, like I asked you, why me? You know, is it that? I don't know, but it's the leading up. I can see clearly how a particular strategy can have a a really positive impact on an organization, but my ability to articulate that, well, I can articulate it. I think Mm -hmm. it's just, yeah, I don't know. Leading up is definitely the challenge. Well, I think think that's um, many organizations do have that challenge, right? And again, sometimes you don't end up with the title of of boss. You grew up through that in terms of starting out as a branch manager and pieces like that. But you know, the biggest part of your work has been in the influencing space. And it makes sense when you come back and you say something like the common thread for you is people. And I, I guess I want you to tell me a, a story of an individual that you've been able to impact. Okay. Go back through your career, whatever it is, that's been very rewarding for you because you're able to be a connector of people. So it started in San Diego. I had been doing contracts and then I took over a certain aspect of logistics because we have a factory right across the border. But the office that I worked out of was co-located with the San Diego branch operations. And we were sort of on separate sides of the building. So I had my office for contracts and then I oversaw 
the logistics and hydraulic engineers and things like this. And then on the other side was the San Diego branch operations. And a couple of years in, they asked me to take over the branch. And I said, uh, no, I don't want to do that. You know, I had owned my own company. I recognized that working with a group of individuals that have very different places in life for so many different reasons, you know, whatever that is, it, it's tough. Contracts is very in your head. You're just looking at words and trying to make sense of, uh, of legalese and things like this. Logistics, it's very tactical, moving equipment, but it's, it, you're not dealing with human beings. So it took a while for them to convince me to do this. And so I take on this, this role as branch manager along with the other things I was doing. And I started applying some of those practices that I had done on my own as a business owner. And it was transparency, clarity on expectations, establishing standard processes like weekly meetings and monthly meetings and safety, just putting in place all of those things that I had done before. And I'll tell you, the first time we got around to performance reviews, so it's not a single person because I thought this was so fascinating. It was a small team in the office, maybe five people, administrative assistant, project manager, the things like this, right? Five people, mm -hmm. plus my, including myself. And at the time of the performance reviews, which is always an uncomfortable time for anybody because you're basically being told if you're a good person or mm -hmm. not, quotation marks, right? It's so uncomfortable. But at that particular, after the second performance review, I had to go out and get a box of tissues. Because everybody that I had interviewed, you know, I had established clear expectations from the beginning. And then we met on monthly and quarterly. Some folks, it was weekly until we could get things on track. So when it came time for that annual review, there were no surprises in what the review would look like. And for some reason, it had this impact, you know, and it's in some instances, it was tears of joy. I've never been spoken to this way and included in these, you know, the goings on of the business. And some it was, I'm so grateful to you because, you know, you maybe they were expecting a different type of review, but it was like, how can we work to make this better? So that was really something to me. I came home and I had to write it in my journal as something that I would remember forever that these people were just so appreciative of having established expectations and things like this. And I just thought, wow, you know, it seemed kind of simple to me, but it really made a difference to them. That's a fantastic. So those, you know, three tips for leaders, if you heard those and you can rewind and listen to that again, transparency with leadership, clarity of what is expected and the processes or the governance or the consistency of following that, following up with them so that they don't have surprises in an annual performance review process can create that. Thank you for sharing that story, Lane. Absolutely. And it leads me to, and we talked about this a little bit in preparation for the podcast, because I, I want you to tell the story and I know it makes you smile, but what is, what is your, I'm, I'm shifting gears just a little bit here as we come up on, a little bit close on our time. What is your proudest accomplishment in your career? Because you've had a lot of things. You look at your profile, you've had a lot of things that you've succeeded in over your career. What's your proudest accomplishment? Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for asking. Because really, it I was elected as president 
of the National Association of Elevator Contractors. It was around their 60th anniversary. So they're really the oldest, the only, you know, in my mind, true association for elevator contractors. And I was actually the youngest. And at the time, the only woman to have ever been and woman. I was a young person back then. I thought 30 something. Wow. We <laughs> So that was that was really it because you know I remember when I was first elected to the board you serve on the board for 2 years before you then elect the next president so I was elected by my peers mm. uh, a group of 13 and I remember those first few meetings as a first of all I couldn't believe they had asked me to be a director but very small family owned business I think at the time our annual sales if we could have hit a million we would have been excited so you know I think during that time we did get over a million but very small family owned business and I was asked to serve as a director very surprising to me then you go to these meetings and this is so strange elevator contractors okay And at these meetings, you had these men wearing Bermuda shorts, like golf attire. I didn't know anything about golf back then, but it was basically golf attire, Rolex watches. And I just thought, oh my gosh, I had this huge sort of imposter syndrome going on. Mm. Are they going to figure me out? Not only was I a woman and super young compared to them, you know, the things that we were talking about. and, And the reason I say it was like my One of the best experiences that I've had in my career is because when you come into a family-owned business and my dad, his time at the office, you know, his vacations got longer and longer, you have a lot of liberty in how you're going to execute things, whether they're the day-to-day or the long-term. And I had never really thought exactly long-term, if you will. And so going into the association on the board of directors, it was a year that they happened to launch their first strategic plan. And so I got to participate and see things in a much bigger way, if you will. And so I learned a a ton in, in that association and then becoming president was actually one of the hardest years because they launched a, a, a training program that conflicted with 60% of their membership because it was most of their members belonged to a trade union and the association had decided to launch their own certified federally certified mm-hmm. apprenticeship program well i was a union signatory company i was the only director to have voted against it i said you're going to really upset 60% of your membership. Are you sure you want to do this? But I was the only one. And then guess what? When I was president <laughs> is when it was launched. That's so perfect. I had to um, stand there and represent the association, even though I was like, you know, personally, I, so mm-hmm. anyway, it was a great learning experience. I'm so glad you asked that question. <laughs> well, I'm glad you answered it like that. And I'm happy for it. And it, the fact that it came to you that quickly, even over time, that's really cool. And I understand. I mean, it's funny. I read a, a quote this morning. You've talked a little bit about the challenges of you know being a, a woman in the construction industry, no doubt about it. And there was a quote from Eleanor Roosevelt that came across my phone this morning. It says, a woman is like a tea bag. You can't tell how strong she is until you put her in boiling water, which I found to be a really interesting quote. And I know that some of your strength comes out in those challenging situations. Okay, we're coming up. I got two more questions for you. You know what the last question is, but let me ask you one more question about I'm going to phrase it as, what do you dream about now? So, and I'm going to reference, I did some research 
prior to our call, not just on your LinkedIn profile, but you know through the internet because you can still find information now on people. And there was an article that was posted uh, ten years ago that was done Elevator Weekly magazine, I think is what it was, or I forget, I forget what it was. It doesn't matter. But it they talked to you at the end about retirement, and back then you said you had ten to fifteen years left in you. So that would mean you got about five years left in you if you still have the same. But I'm going to guess you've got more in there. But regardless, when you think about that, you think about looking forward. What do you still dream about? What do you want to do next? I'm not putting you in a retirement, by the way. I'm just curious. Do you still dream about you know doing something else? I do. You know, I remember the article. It was Elevator World. They had just launched their member spotlight feature or something like this. And I, if I recall correctly, I said that I wanted to be a teacher to the masses. And the reason why I said I only had 10 to 15 years left was because my eyes, after doing contracts for so long, and my arm were starting to hurt because, you know, you're reviewing contracts, you scroll all the time and my eyes and I'm squinting and this sort of thing. So I thought, boy, I want to get into like training and development and share some of this knowledge with people. So I think I've achieved that within a particular division of Mitsubishi, if I could continue that course now. And I think continuous improvement actually offers that opportunity. Mm -hmm. So that's what I dream of is helping people see lean for what it is, because, you know, I repeat this all the time to people, what is lean? Well, it's the concept and practice of continuous improvement and the power of respect for people. And I always put the emphasis on that, on the power Mm -hmm. of respect for people, because I want people to take that away and mull over it and think about what does that mean? The power of the respect for people. That is that is powerful, right? Mm-hmm. What does that mean? It means a lot. And Absolutely. So, um, you can do so many things with that. Lynn, I appreciate you sharing that. And I think you will be and continue to be a teacher to the masses. And that is what you say. You said a mentor to the masses. But that's basically ah. what I said in the last last sentence. You wanted to be a speaker and you do a great job with that when you're up in front of people. So I appreciate you sharing that and don't stop dreaming and don't stop applying that as you go forward. Okay. Last question. It's always one I ask each of my first time guests, but I give you a billboard and you get to put anything on it with a message that you want to put on it. What is on your billboard and and why did you put it there? Okay. So it's a, it's a mashup. It's four sentences. Okay. And it goes like this. Endeavor to persevere and smile because Jesus loves you and with him, all things are possible. And I chose that, those four sentences, and I visualize it on a, on a, on a billboard, you know, driving down, you know, Hollywood Boulevard, right? With mm-hmm. just everything coming at you almost like Las Vegas. And here's what it is. So that first one is a, a is a line out of the outlaw Josie Wales. I never watched westerns until I married my husband, and they are so compelling. The stories mm. are fantastic. And so, it was Lone Wadi, a character Lone Wadi, who is an Indian, who had said this, um, or someone had said it to him. Oh, anyway, you have to watch the movie, but endeavor to persevere. I think. Uh, is a great reflection of kind of how I was brought up, Mm -hmm. right? Sure. Go get him. And then the rest is, you know, man, be happy. Jesus loves you. You got this, man. Life is good. So amen. Amen, sister. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. That's great. I I love it. I love, and I wish we would have had this on video to see 
how much power you had, how much passion you had in reading that statement and describing that statement. So that's really cool. I can tell it means a lot to you. Well, Lynn, I certainly appreciate your time that you've invested today with the listeners. I know they're going to find value in what you had to say today. I'm going to put your LinkedIn profile to be able to stay connected with you. It seems like that's the place to connect with you the easiest and that they can stay in touch with you. But again, thank you, Lynn, so much for really, I'll say, persevering and overcoming why me with the why not you, because I know you had good things to say today. Thank you. Thank you so much. I sure hope that Lynn captured your mind as she took us through her leadership journey. I had some key takeaways that I hope you did too. First, while Lynn may be seen as a process person, she also has to be a people person in the role she has had as an influencer, a trait that is uncommon for sure. Secondly, she talked about the power of respect for people and she emphasized the word power and being able to communicate well and connect everyone's work to the mission and the vision of the organization. And thirdly, people and processes are key and to lead effectively, there must be three things there, transparency, clarity, and systems. I wish Lynn the best as she pursues her dreams. Thanks for listening into this episode of the Uncommon Leader Podcast. I'm sure there was value in it for you, and I'm confident that you know someone who needs to hear this message as well. So please share this podcast with someone else who needs to hear it, or hit the subscribe button, leave a review, and that helps us to get it in the hands of other uncommon leaders. Until next time, go and grow champions.